Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thorpe is coming in, gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Freeman is too good. The crowd roaring. Freeman wins gold. Cappy's the winner. Australia the winner. First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, today, we're joined by a man who left a defensive legacy in the AFL like few others. Josh Gibson started his 225-game career as a North Melbourne tagger, but it was as a Hawthorne defender that he would take flight, claiming three consecutive premierships, two best and fairest, and All-Australian honours. He was a linchpin in one of Hawthorne's most memorable eras, and it's a pleasure to welcome him to the show. G'day, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, boys. Now, it's September, a month you know well from a footy perspective, given you played 23 finals. It's a different footy season. It's a different world. Where do we find you at the moment? Uh, it is a different world, mate. I'm uh, I'm in regional Victoria, so I've uh, I've moved out here. I'm just near Creswick, which is you know sort of in between Dalford and Ballarat. So um, restrictions are a little bit easier here, which is sort of keeping me sane, but obviously still very tough with everything that's going on in Victoria right now. Indeed, indeed. And speaking of different, in another life, you might have been a left arm quick for the West Indies. So tell us about your family heritage. <laughs> Uh, I wish. Uh, look, yeah, my uh, my father was uh, from Barbados in the West Indies, so um, you know I was brought up pretty heavily in cricket as well. So I was, I was, I guess I was lucky. You know, um, as a young kid in the '90s, I got to experience a, a lot of the uh, the Windies matches, and and obviously they were a pretty dominant force during that time. So I've got some fond memories. Whether it be, um, you know, I used to go in there for the Boxing Day test and. I can remember, you know, being in the nets and bowling to Brian Lara and Carl Hooper or, uh, you know, I've got some, some pretty good photos with Malcolm Marshall because obviously the West Indian community used to get a lot together uh, when the players would come out. And, um, you know, I've got some good memories, I get yeah, from games. Of, you know, I've got some balls signed by... Uh, I've got a, actually got a match ball against Australia when they won the day-night day series final. Remember when they had the lightning strikes on the, uh, on the, uh, on the uniform and... I went home with uh, Brian Lara's jumper and the match ball signed by Kurtley Ambrose and Richie Richardson and some great photos of them pouring champagne all over my head in the uh, in the locker room afterwards. 
How good's that? Did you take any scalps <laughs> in the nets out there beside the jet? <laughs> the only scalp I got was the, the person that probably got knocked out over the back of the net because the ball got hit over and probably hit him in the scalp. You know, I was getting smacked around, but no, no, no scalps, mate, unfortunately. But as I said, some great memories and, um, you know, it was a very different era, you know what I mean, when you could go and do things like that, you know. Uh, your security yeah. and all these type of things are so strict these days that um, you know memories like that really really don't happen anymore. Yeah, you're right. Sadly, that's the case. And you grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and those links to the local caravan community. I mean, is it true that you also got some of the West Indian cricketers dropping by for the odd feed when they were in town? <laughs> uh, not not so much at my place, but as I said, we did have a group. Um, you know, that used to uh, accommodate having them over. So we'd just venture over to some, some friends' houses and, you know, you could sit down at the dinner table and have some pretty special guests there. So, um, you know, obviously Dad didn't have enough pool because we didn't get much of them at my house, but I'd say that it was it was pretty special when you when the home phone would ring and on the other end of it would be Brian Lara and you'd be having a conversation with him. So I, I can lay claim to things like that. Fantastic. And you did, I know you're being modest, you played the game at school though, at Trinity Grammar in Kew. Now, was there ever a future in it for you? Do you think it was merely a, a pursuit for fun? Uh, look, I, no, I did enjoy it. Um, you know, like a really great opportunity. I played, you know, uh, played with ball in the sub-district cricket there. And then, um, and then obviously with Trinity and, you know, some wonderful experiences getting over to tour England with the school and stuff like that. But mate, it's, uh, you know, I look back now and I look at probably the numbers going into each sport, and I guess I chose I chose the right the right one because uh, you know it's pretty tough to get to the the top of cricket, and I definitely did. I definitely don't think I was that good, so <laughs> I think I chose wisely. Before we do get to your sport of choice, you had another sporting love as a kid, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, mate. I used to play a lot of squash. I guess that's what your your uh, is that where you were heading. <laughs> It was. Um, so <laughs> yes, yeah, so I played squash uh, in Waddle Park and then, um, you know, without pumping myself up too much, I was pretty good. Um, and then it came to a stage where mum wanted me to wear the uh, the goggles and, um, you know, to protect my yes. eyes. And, you know, I thought they looked pretty goofy. So I said, uh, I stuffed this spot. I'm done with that. And I, I took up AFL footy. <laughs> you dumped the squash because of the goggles. It weren't cool the enough. goggles, mate. I know, not cool enough for me, mate. So goggles were off um, and footy was in, mate. <laughs> Fair enough. And with footy, it was an introduction at a clinic. I don't know if it was an Kick clinic. I think you're about eight years of age. And, and even though you were playing squash and you liked your cricket, was this the sport that you always kept coming back to? Yeah, it was. it's, it's interesting because, as I said, my dad being from Barbados and my mum was from New South Wales and... and they, uh, she was originally Queensland. They moved down here um, before I was born, and and so they had no idea about AFL football. And um, you know, it was actually I, I got introduced to it through back then. It was called Vic Kick, you know what I mean? Because it was only in Victoria, which is now Oz Kick. So sure, um, I was doing Vic Kick, and and um, there was the the guy who ran Vic Kick, Charlie, lived in the street behind me, and he was a, he's a mad Bombers fan, and. Um, and he was the one that got me into it, but I probably, I probably really got down into Vic Kick around that grade five, grade six. I was, I was a little bit of a, uh, a late starter. 
So you played in the first 18 at Trinity, and obviously I think you spent some time at the Oakley Chargers as well. But Josh, would it be fair to say, without offending you, that this wasn't the stereotypical path to stardom? I mean, from what I heard, there wasn't exactly any managers or recruiters knocking down the door of the family home, was there? No, look, I was, uh, you know, you know, I, I had a little bit of, t- had some talent as a junior, but um, probably wasn't the most disciplined when it came to dieting, it would be fair to say. Um and, and, you know, like, <laughs> I think I was about 95 kilos in year 12 and I didn't lift any weights and I'm about I'm about 95 kilos now. So you can work that out. Um, but I... Uh, was mum's cooking was that good? Like, <laughs> was that West Indian cooking, mate? They were uh, feeding me a treat and uh, I was probably on the uh, probably on the gold card list at McDonald's at that stage as well. But um, <laughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> No, it, it wasn't, it, you know, I, I never really made any of those Vic squads or any any of the young Oakley Chargers squads. I obviously got invited down but never made them. And then in my last year of um, of school, uh, you know, I had a pretty good footy year and, and made it to the, uh, AGSV, the AGSV side. And um, that year playing, and I, I always played as sort of a midfield forward, Um and in the second game, we were playing the APS, and and that year had there was a pretty good team, and um, one of the guys in there was Kieran McGuinness, you know, who was touted to go pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up going to the doggies, and um, and I think it's Vince Vaughan who was the the coach who was from Marsland. He um he was also uh, part of the recruiting team. He did some ASL scouting recruiting, and he um, got me to play on Kieran McGuinness that day at half back and did a pretty good job and um off the back of that I got invited to the uh to the state screening, you know. So I think that means that it's obviously three clubs need to be interested in you to go to draft camp and, and I think I might have had the solitary one club. So I got that sort of started it. Um got invited and obviously nothing came of that. I was bottom age and I was lucky I had another year of under eighteens um when I'd finished school and you know, had a had a pretty good year there. Uh, again midfield forward and was pretty high up in the league goal kicking. I think the blokes like Aaron Edwards and Hamish McIntosh were ahead of me, but you know I, I kicked a fair few goals and and again got invited to the state screening, but uh, but nothing came of it, mate. And and after that, I found myself in the VFL. It did get tough at times, like especially that that first year in the VFL. Um, I had a pretty bad ankle injury. Um, it would have just been better to break it, and and you know I missed a good fifteen something chunks of fifteen or so games. And it literally just meant me driving down to Arden Street because they had one of those grinder machines, you know, that you could use with your hands. Being in the the old Arden Street um, yeah. uh, club rooms there by myself, you know, <laughs> no connection to North Melbourne apart from them being with uh, with Port Melbourne at the time, being able to use a exercise machine there by myself doing a program off a piece of paper. So there were definitely some dark times. But uh, look, at the end of that year, I managed to play one senior game, um, and it was against Tassie in the finals, and and I guess that uh, reignited where I wanted to go, and and you know to come back the next year and and have a pretty good year, and and um, and you know the the goal really was that you, know, you were able to play with ASL guys each week. So as much as you know you wanted to be a team player, my my role was to really try and outperform um, any North Melbourne guy that was playing alongside me, and. We had a fantastic year under Gerald Fitzgerald and uh, lost the grand final by four points. But um, after that, doing, doing another preseason with North Melbourne, I was I was lucky enough to be rookie listed. So it was a uh, it was a hard long slog. But I guess, mate, 
yeah, when you, I guess when you're in the middle of it, you sort of, and when you're playing VFL, you see that there's still guys that can come out of that system. So you always, you always think there's hope. Yeah, and you spent the two years there at Port Melbourne. And as you mentioned, at the time, they were North Melbourne's affiliate. And even though we laughed a little bit earlier about the knock on you physically and, and, and your shape, I mean, you, you did something about it, though, didn't you? When you're at Port Melbourne, you went out of your way to improve that area? Yeah, I did, mate. I, um, you know, I, I was really at the end of that Oakley Chargers year. I did a, um, I got invited down to do the preseason with Richmond, um, which was an amazing experience, you know. And at the end of the day, they uh, they went with Calvin Moore over me on a rookie spot. And I guess off the back of that, I thought that, you know, I'm going to need to get better um, fitness wise. And there's a guy called David McKernan who had um, it was called Next Generation Fitness in. Uh, Glen Ferry Road in Hawthorne and, and he'd spent some time with St Kilda and um, hired him as a trainer and, um, you know, it was I guess this was it, you know. I didn't really have a, a crutch or an excuse to get out anymore. If I didn't get drafted, I couldn't blame it on the fitness or anything. So, um, yeah, it was obviously a pivotal moment, but... Um, one that turned out for the best, without a doubt. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, Josh Gibson's persistence pays off where North Melbourne come knocking. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on. This is your sporting life made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with Hawthorne great Josh Gibson. Josh, North Melbourne take your pick seven in the 2005 rookie draft. Now, were you given a heads up that you're about to get your big chance or did it come as a complete shock? Driving home, I was at the, the Shell petrol station there on Punt Road just before you get to Vic Street, that little one there. And um, I can remember being at the Bowser. Uh, I know you're not meant to use your phones at the Bowser, but I knew that there was something important could be coming through. So I had the phone there, and, and Neville Stibbard called me and said that, uh, mate, you've um, we've taken you, I think it was pick seven in the rookie draft. And, mate, you can continue to keep training with North. Congratulations. So, um, yeah, it was really, you know, a special moment. Um, just not, you know, it's different to, I guess, the guys that sit on the couch and, and have the whole family around and know that they're going to be going in a draft. Um, you know, it was just, it was sort of nice to just have it by myself because I was sort of training with them and already um, been going through the hard yard to be able to have a little moment to myself and then obviously tell my family it was um, it was very special. Fantastic. Yeah, they're on the couch and you're at the by yourself by the petrol pump. But the <laughs> fact that you can remember it so vividly shows you how powerful the moment was, I guess. And you're 22. You're 22, aren't you, when you make your North Melbourne and AFL debut. So it's a Saturday night, round one, 2006 against Port Adelaide at Football Park as, they, as where they played back in the day. What do you remember of that night? I remember that, you know, I, I was having actually not a bad game. And, um, and you know, I was, I was on the field and, and again, I was starting on the field in the last quarter and, and all the... All of a sudden, at the three-quarter time huddle, I, I had the urge to go to the toilet and do a number two. So I sort of raced down the <laughs> run down the race as fast as I could. Never had this happen before in my career, and you know I'm like, this is your first AFL game. And next minute, I hear the siren going. <laughs> Obviously, I'm meant to be out on the field, but I couldn't get this thing pushed out fast enough. So I remember I was that nervous whether Laidley was going to hate me. This was my one chance. I'm meant to be on the field again, and 
and here I was sitting on the toilet. But it all it all ended well. We uh, we had a win, and and you know, I remember I actually I got interviewed after the game, and I, I had no idea. I couldn't even tell you what I said. I was uh, just that overwhelmed by the whole experience. But it was yeah, very special moment to um to be able to obviously play your first game. We had a win uh, on the road, and um. You know, to, to be able to contribute was um, was nice because I guess it sort of gives you a sense of, of knowing that maybe you can belong at this level. Dean Lately was a hard taskmaster. We knew that. I, I was going to ask you how important he was in your development, but how did he take the news that um, the debutant was on the throne when the siren went? <laughs> no, look, uh, <laughs> he was okay. I got back out there and, and was straight back on the field, so I didn't cop it. But, you know, I... Um, I really loved Dean Lady as a coach. He was, you know, he was one that really laid a lot of, obviously there's a lot of people that laid foundations, you know, before him, but definitely um, he was one that that really had some things that stuck with me that without a doubt helped me through the rest of my career. And, and, you know, one of them was was my training hard. You know, it's probably a detriment to me in the end that I trained too hard at times and maybe blew my body out. But, you know, I remember once he called me in and always said that he looked at me for as a barometer on the training track to uh, to lift the boys. And, and it was something that really stuck with me because I always did want to train hard. I remember <laughs> it's a silly thing, but I remember when I was in the VFL, I always wanted to come off the track with a headache from talking too much. So it's a lady to turn around and say that he noticed, you know, the way I trained that I thought, wow, this is great. And, and for me, the rest of my career, I always made sure that I trained super hard and obviously forwards didn't like it because I was sometimes punching their hands at training and taking it a little bit too hard. But, me that was the way to ensure that you know I was ready for game day yeah fair enough and you game day you have 11 of them at the top level in year one but you need all your powers of resilience don't you the following year when your career is back at the crossroads but for very different reasons you've slipped over in the bathroom and suffered a head injury what happened yeah we played the, uh, we played in Perth and, and came back and we did go out and it was funny. We had probably, we had two beers. We weren't even out for long. And um, it, I don't even really remember it, but I just got up to go to the toilet during the night and um, rush of blood. I fainted and as the sinks, you know, the, the sinks can stick out off the wall and I crashed over and hit my head on the, um, on the back of the sink. And then I had bleeding on the brain and it was crazy. Cause I remember obviously I was out with Daniel Pratt and, we went to rehab in the morning and it looked like I was drunk. I thought I was drunk as well, you know, and everyone, Paddy's like, Josh, how can you be drunk, mate? We had two beers and I literally, I could hardly keep up with the boys walking in the water at Port Melbourne and severe headaches and all this and, and spent the whole weekend just vomiting, like, you know, I couldn't stop vomiting. And I remember we went to training Monday and we were doing a penalty session and Aaron Edwards was having to punch me in the stomach and I was like, mate, don't punch me. I can't take it. And I could hardly keep up in running. And I remember Dean asked me a question in like the team review. I sort of just had my head down. I was even listening and, you know, I've gone back and forth with doctors and finally Tuesday went to hospital and, and drove myself to hospital. I don't know how I did that. Don't know where I parked the car or anything like that. And, Got in there and was like, just please tell me there's something wrong with me. And, you know, they obviously put some x-rays and they're like, oh, we need to rush you straight in. And, you know, you've got bleeding on the brain and it got pretty dramatic after that because then the story started flying. It was like, well, the time my parents had got to the, the hospital, I'd, I'd taken home a stripper and her bikies had come in and bashed me and that's how I had my head injury. So I just remember sort of waking up at the end of the bed and my roommate was there and... and 
Mum's like, my son wouldn't date a stripper. <laughs> Billy's sort of like, where's this story going? I don't know what's happening. He just fell over at home. So, but it was it was pretty serious, you know. After that, they were, they were you know, you don't know how you're going to recover, and I had to spend a long portion of time. The next four weeks had to be at home, and literally they're like, you cannot get your blood pressure up, you know, like. It was, you know, it was next level. I was saying you can't even get constipated. You know, you can't have any rush of blood to your head, and, and I had to go back and obviously do all these ECG testings, and and then you know, like motor skills, I'd I would have to go and visit a um, someone to do math puzzles, and you know, like draw blocks, uh, put blocks together, and draw patterns, and and I had like I had the skills of like a six or seven year old. You know, like they would ask wow. me a question. <laughs> Ask me a question like, say as many words as you can that start with the letter A in 30 seconds and you can't say names. And I'd be like, Andrew, Adam, you know, like I was just, and so over time, I just had to keep going back and doing these tests and, and ultimately got to a level where they were better. The the spots of bleeding around the brain had um had eased, you know, and uh, gone away and, and I was able to play again. So it was very tough, you know, those four or five weeks and you're sitting at home not knowing and, and as you said, entering your career and, and not knowing if you're going to play again. But um, was able to come out the other end and, and even managed to play again in that season. Yeah, and a bit scary. But thankfully, you got yourself back. And you were a permanent fixture in the side, actually, by the time Dean Laidley stepped down as coach halfway through the 2009 season. Did that decision by Dean prompt you to consider moving clubs or were the wheels already in motion for a move to Hawthorne? But we were negotiating a contract at the time and um, we were a little bit off, not too far off. I wasn't asking for much. We were a little bit exactly where I wanted to be. And, and then Dean um, retired, which was, I was, you know, it was a shock because, um, I, as I said, I, I had really enjoyed playing underneath him and, and thought I would just um, hold out towards the end of the, or hold out a bit to see what was going on. And, um, and ultimately in that time, you know, the... Uh, the Hawthorne thing started happening towards the end of the year. But no, at that, that time when um, I hadn't signed, it was nothing to do with any other clubs or anything like that. Alistair Clarkson's active role in attracting rival players to the Hawks has become the stuff of legend down the years. What, what was your experience with him like at this time? Oh, look, it was it was really pleasing. I think in that last year at North, I was, I was playing as a tag and I really did think my best footy was down back and and at the time, North was sort of... I think they had their eyes more on who they had down there. There was Nathan Grimer and um, and a few of the other boys, Scotty Thompson. Um, so when meeting with Hawthorne, you know, you, you look at what had happened to them. Obviously, they'd won the 08 flag, but this was 2009. And, and Trent Crow had smashed his ankle in that grand final and ultimately didn't play again. So he wasn't playing in 09. And, and I guess that had some, some good... Um, hustles with Buddy and, and you know the way that Hawthorne um, and Clark in particular just spoke about how they saw me as a player and, and where they saw me fitting into their side and the role I had um, yeah, just really excited me because I feel like that was where I had I could um, my best offering to a footy team was and, and after that meeting I was uh, I was pretty hell bent on wanting to get across because as I said what they'd put forward really excited me so you walk into a club with, as you say, Franklin, Ruffhead, Hodge, Mitchell, Lewis, and many others as the big dogs in the change room. Were there any relationship kinks that needed to be ironed out from going up against yeah. them down the years? 
no, I think I'd always played the game pretty fairly. Um, you know, I was never one to to sort of have dirty shots. I guess you know it was. It's almost like when you've uh, when you're going to high school for the first time. You know, you might have been in the cool group or whatever in year six, but year seven you're going to a whole new place. So you sort of just stand in the corner, don't know who to hang out with. But um, and and then when you add in all those names, you said and. You know, that was the biggest thing, this, the pressure to perform, especially at the start, um, you know, when a club trades for you um, and gives something up. And, and then, as I said, when you walk into a locker room with those guys, it was intimidating, but um, it was it was certainly very exciting at the same time. Mm. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you, of course, by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, after the break, Josh Gibson recounts the glory years at the Hawks. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with Triple Premiership winning defender Josh Gibson. Well, Josh, just getting to the new club at Hawthorne, we mentioned the the big personalities in the change room, but I can't imagine there were too many comfortable training sessions out on the track either. You'd be trying to prove yourself on Buddy, Ruffy. Did it also bring out the best in you, though, do you think? No doubt. You know, it's... Um... You know, people ask me uh, towards the end of my career or retired about those type of things, and and being able to go to um to training every day and master your craft on the, on the best forwards, you know, in in Buddy and Ruffy, and you know, if, if you wanted, to, if you were dangerous enough to think you wanted to play on a small forward at a time, you could go and play on Silrioli if you uh if you had rocks in your head. So in terms of being able to really hone your skills and um and prepare yourself to play, there was. There was no better training buddies than to have those guys on your team. So you obviously play in four consecutive grand finals, winning flags in 2013, 14 and 15. Now that's obviously not just the games themselves, but to get there, a lot of cutthroat, high pressure matches. And particularly as a key defender, when obviously everything is magnified. How do you look back in this gold on this golden period for you and the club? Yeah, it really, it really was a special period, and and I was actually having a chat to some to some guys last night about this, and and often people look at that thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, but they don't they don't look at what in what what went in beforehand and and the lessons we had to learn, and you know I, you can really take it back to twenty ten, but I guess in even eleven that prelim against Collingwood when you talk about big games and situations, and and Bud kicked that ripper from the pocket, and then ultimately Bawley kicks one from forty five. Um, I reckon it was the longest kick of his career, but did a fantastic job and, and slotted that one, and obviously to miss out on the grand final, and and then you, you know you do talk about those uh, big pressure games and, and 2012 minor premiers, and you know ultimately get to grand final day and and stumble over at the last hurdle, and and then 2013, um, you know obviously there's the Kennet curse, and and to have to beat Geelong um, in a prelim to get into that grand final, and and you know you, you talk about pressure cookers for me that's that was the biggest one of the career that game and um and so for us to uh to overstep that hurdle and you know especially i know as a defensive group there'd been times that those forwards had got a hold of us so to be able to um to uh keep them in intact and and obviously 
get across the line and, and get ourselves into a grand final. And we know what happened after that. So, you know, in those big games, it, it is really tough as a defender uh, because you have a contest, you have a contest, and I and I guess it's not that bad. People will say, "Oh, the forward brought the ball to ground," so he's these small forwards do have a chance and and uh, and we think we're doing a good job because we spoil it but then if he marks it he wins and uh, he kicks a goal so there's not a lot of release for the defenders mate uh, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess that comes with the territory <laughs> it does it does and the Kenneth curse you mentioned it was considered a laugh for a long long time but then the longer it went I, I just wonder was it how was it received that right at the end amongst the playing group? Because the run of results was extraordinary against you. You do laugh about the Kennet curse at the start, but when the team has your number like that, you really need to, you know, look deeper into it and, and what was going on. And, you know, I remember during that time, we had some, some pretty serious discussions as a leadership group. And, and you know, it was um, some things we really altered in 13, which without a doubt, we're able to, to rectify that situation. So look, you know, the Kennet, the Kennet curse was there, but I think I think those words probably put something in the players' heads, which I think ultimately felt we needed to do a little bit, you know, do something extra, which really wasn't the thing. And I think when we sort of scaled it back and, and stuck to the game plan instead of feeling that we all needed to go an extra five percent in spite of what we do as a group, we were um, able to ultimately beat them again and break the curse. Yeah, yeah. And you were named best and fairest in two of those premiership years, 2013 and 15. That's a feat only matched by two of the club's immortals in uh, Lee Matthews and Jason Dunstall. Man, not bad for a rookie pick who didn't debut until he was 22. Yeah, look, um, yeah, look they're pretty uh, special achievements. And, and I guess what makes them more enjoyable for me now is, is being able to have the team success, you know, that... Winning premierships is, is what we play for, and, and after you um, you get a taste of grand final day, and and you know, the first one didn't go away, but then getting a taste of grand final day and being able to win one, and and it it puts into perspective all those uh, extra training sessions I did to get fit, and on all the things, all the sacrifices that that players make um, during, you know, from really the age of thirteen or whatever it is to uh, to get to play on that day, so. Getting the, being able to win those premierships make the uh, the individual accolades uh, far more enjoyable because I can now that I've retired, you know, you can look back on on winning things like best and fairest and players awards and um, and appreciate them, knowing that uh, you were able to you were able to contribute. Well, for me, it was able to contribute when it mattered most and and the years that we had, you know, that we had success that that I was up there and played my role for the side. So. You know, it just makes those premierships more exciting because I know that by those other awards that I was uh, I was definitely playing my role to help the side when it mattered most. Sam Mitchell once said you were the most competitive man on the Hawthorne list and, and Clarko regularly referred to you as a ferocious competitor. But you had to be, didn't you? I mean, you played at 189 centimetres in a position where you almost always conceded height and weight to your direct opponent. Yeah, look, I liked that I got in at 189. I actually did what I measured myself again when I retired. I was 186. So I think the 89 was when I had the Afro at North Melbourne. And I just I just ran with it for my whole career. But, um, you know, and, and, and when you say those things about Mitch and, and Clark A saying, and, you know, obviously it sort of makes a warm spot in my heart because, as I said earlier, you know, uh, my thing under Dean Lady was training hard and competing and, and um 
and and that's just how I knew that I always knew I wasn't the most talented, but I knew that if I could I could bring hard work and those things and, and it's it's such a cliche but I remember one saying a person saying to me that, you know, um hard work out hard work beats talent when talent doesn't want to work hard. And I was always like, Well, if I can just prepare and, and be manic about my preparation the way I train that I don't need to go up to a, another too much of a crazy level on game day because I'm used to being at and um at that level of intensity. So that was just the way that I knew that I was going to get the best best footy out of myself and and um, yeah, as I said, to to hear um people that from the footy club that I respect in such high regards to to have those things to say about me and the way I play is obviously pretty special. Just on that, though, the game did change massively across your 12 seasons, didn't it? So at, at the start, it would have all been about bulk, uh, wrestling, one-on-ones, but then you could kick the ball straight back from behind. The game got faster. It was all about shedding weight and mobility, and, and you guys as defenders had to press the ground. The, the transformation in the game was huge in, across your career. Yeah, it was, and, and, and people often ask me, you know, like the big thing, uh, you know, who's the best forward you played on? I said, well... I really played in two different eras, you know, like at the start it was, you know, you were, it was you versus Favola or you versus Brown, you know, and it was like, that was your matchup and you just, you had him the whole time, you know, and you just followed the ground everywhere. Mm. And, you know, that was, that was the stage of, you said, grappling and stuff like that. And then they finally going to Hawthorne and, and, you know, we had a, a different zoning system as well um, <clears throat> from, you know, when the ball was in our forward line, that press and protecting dangerous space and, and, you know, not being like the other era where if the, my forward wanted to stay 40 metres out, I was just standing next to him. So um, there was a lot of evolving uh, during my career. You were close with Buddy Franklin, particularly when you were teammates. So was it an open secret amongst the players in 2013 that he was leaving? No, look, I didn't know... Um, I didn't know where Bud Bud was going, and you know, the, obviously there were talks of him GWS, and then as it turned out, it was Sydney. But <clears throat> we just wanted to focus on on delivering in 2013, and and you know, he had a really important role to play, and he played it well, and um, and we won a premiership, and and at the end of it, you, you know, he he goes in a different direction, and you understand why he did it, and. And you shake hands and you and you thank them for their service and and for what they contributed and, and that was a great thing about that time with Bud. Obviously, there was an enormous pressure on him in thirteen with the player he is and and everyone wanting to have a piece of it and um you know being able to obviously keep that keep that under control and and still play your role for the footy side you're playing for is is pretty tough and and he did that well and um yeah there's no no hard feelings. There's, as I said, he was he was a huge he was a huge part of of what we achieved, and you know, and, and then the next year we were able to go out and beat him in one, which was even sweeter. Yeah, and we'll fast forward <laughs> a few years. You didn't know it at the time, but your last game would be round 12, 2017 against Gold Coast, and there was a groin injury off the back of that that obviously kept you out. And two months later, you decided to pull the pin. That must have been a difficult time. Yeah. Oh, it, it was, and I was, to be fair, I was having a really good preseason that year and had conversations with Clark, and he was like, mate, you know, your, your age is completely irrelevant the way you're going, and I was running PBs, and I was on top of the ground and, and ultimately got a little bit of a groin injury that was, you know, I'd had osteitis in the past, and just from there it made it very tough, and, and you know, I was I was battling through that year, and 
and then at the end it gave it a really good tweak and and from that stage on I knew I wasn't going to play again but it's funny how it turns out you know there's a surgery where you can you can have your adductor snipped and and since then riding horses and another horse went to kick me and it all happened on the best and fairest night and I ripped that adductor off and and it's all a-okay now and and all feels fine again so (laughs) Look, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's feeling better for the rest of my life because it was definitely some nights uh, you know where I could could hardly sleep and hardly move. So very happy that I'm able to be mobile for uh, for the rest of my life now because it was pretty tough in that last year. You said that you pre-ordered tissues for the farewell press conference. It was an emotional one. You you needed them. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the media girls got the tissue box there and. Um, you know, I'm a bit of bit of soft for that. I cried when we were on the 13 grand final, and um, you know, even though you're completely ready to, uh, and like I said, I knew after that game that I wouldn't be playing anymore. So, um, but when it comes time to say it, it's obviously a tough time. You're closing a uh, you know a huge chapter of your life, or really everything that you've you sort of built up to do has been to uh, play AFL footy, and, and you know, from school or whatever, you know, no different. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's sad to to walk away from that type of stuff, but um, that's the cycle of the AFL footballer, isn't it? And um, and you know you've you've got to close that chapter and and leave it there for the uh, the next young bloke to come in and and pick up where you left off, and and that's what keeps footy clubs running, and and um, you know you now become one that just sits in the background and and watches how they all go about it. We're talking to Josh Gibson on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly to finish up with Josh, who might have kept it simple on field, but he's been far more colourful off it. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former North Melbourne and Hawthorne defender Josh Gibson has been our guest today. Now, Josh, you've never been shy about living life to the full and exploring a life outside of footy. I mean, there's been horses, a vodka label, fitness centres, media work. You've been a Meyer ambassador, a Budweiser ambassador, and goodness knows what else. So no one could accuse you of being one-dimensional, could they? Yeah, look, uh, it's fair to say early on in my career as well, I, I probably like going to the opening of an envelope a little bit too much, but <laughs> feel as it, as, it, as it moved on, I got the balance right. And yeah, I, um, I think I'm definitely a lot slower paced now than I was a few years ago, that's for sure. <laughs> so you, you were in Sydney. You just mentioned earlier that you moved to regional Victoria. So what, what, what keeps you busy at the moment? Right, so uh, we've got the gym company, which we uh, we sell franchises around Australia, and obviously it's a little tough for gyms in Victoria right now. But um, that's what keeps me busy. We, you know, we've got time in Sydney, Brisbane, and um, and Adelaide. So doing that, you better and, give and us the name. Here, yeah, this company's called Revel R E V L Revel Training. So it's it's group training, and as I said, we do have one in Melbourne, but it's closed. With uh, and we've got a few more opening, but. It's really exciting. Um, it's, it's a good way to keep fit. And, and then, as I said, I've moved out to the country and, and I can sort of play around with some horses a bit more and, and um, enjoy that aspect of life. 
just when you had the boots on and you were, you obviously had the profile that you had and you were, you were active off the field. And I know you spent a bit of time with Buddy, who obviously is a similar nature. D- did it take some adjustment? I mean, it has to be weird seeing photos of you and your better half in the gossip magazines just going for a swim at the beach. Yeah, look, <laughs> especially when you get in a pair of budgie snugglers, mate, it's not what you really want to see in the state. But, um, but <laughs> look, I'm not. You know, someone like Bud, who they get all of their life watched. You know what I mean? I was I was pretty lucky that um, you know I was able to still do a lot of things that weren't in the public eye. So I guess you do you come to an understanding that you know when you when you play football or you're in the public eye, any sport that um, that's going to come with it, and um, you know you, you learn about how to conduct yourself. You know whether you're out having a beer and things like that or whatever it is. So. You can't come. You can't complain because you've got to take the good with the bad, and um, yeah. Your love for fashion is well known. No, now you brought a style and cruise media clubs, Josh, particularly Hawthorne. Now, did you try to impart that on those who had no idea at Waverley over the journey? Yeah, well, I think you can only have a look at people like Jazz Uphead, who, you know, you look at the way he transitioned into the AFL. Um, you know that. That mullet and this Lang Gaffer bloke who's probably wearing rip curl and, and now he gets around in some of the finest labels. So, look, I feel like I've, if I've maybe helped play a little part in that, then, um, you know, that's, that's helped society in some small little way that Ruffy knows how to dress now. <laughs> it's a legacy. So you did sneak forward, really, though, didn't you? So you kicked five goals in your career. Kid. Can you remember them all? Yeah, I, um, I remember definitely kicking the first one against Jonathan Brown because when I ran back down, he gave me some pretty choice words about what would happen if I ran off him again. So <laughs> that, that was the first one. That was at Gold Coast at, at the old Carrara Stadium, whatever it was. And then I managed to kick another one against Port um, for North. It was actually my last game there. I, uh, I slid in. Uh, it was one of their kick-ins and marked it. So I got that and then... It took a while at Hawthorne, but um, my first one for the Hawks was the uh, the grand final rematch. Um, mm-hmm. It was 16, and, and I had a day out that day, mate. I, I don't like to talk myself up too much, but when you have over 40 touches as a defender, you having a day out and, and kick the goal. So I'll never forget that day. And, and then um, I'll never forget one other one against Richmond because I kicked it on my right foot and I didn't do much on my right foot in my career. So that was special. And... And um, and finally, the last one, I know Big Boy McAvoy gave it to me down in, in Tassie, mate. And um, I didn't really know how to celebrate, and I did something really weird with my hands. So there's something in every one that I remember. There's only five of them, but, uh, yeah, definitely not my forte. But happy that I was able to snag one in the end for Hawthorne. We mentioned earlier how many high-stakes games you obviously played in. Were you superstitious? Oh, no, I, was, uh, I was shocking with that stuff, as people know. I had the... 1600 600 mil Powerade that I had to drink before a game, and mate, it got it got pretty bad there to a stage where I was I was seeing a psychologist because my superstitions would start on a Thursday, and I had heaps of them on game day, so I was bad. Um, but yeah, there were there were a lot of crazy ones. Probably Bart the physio, if he was listening to a horse, and he'd laugh, and I'd always have to come in and like cut the little bits of tape for my ankles, and then he'd be sitting on a chair at the end of the physio table strapping people and he'd always have to stand up and I'd put those little bits of tape underneath his bum and then he'd have to sit on them and he'd sit on them until it was my time to be uh, strapped. So there are a lot of there are a lot of quirky weird ones in there. They shave the legs the morning of game day. Always 
walk the dog's home route, have the same thing for breakfast. Probably the other one was great was when we were in Melbourne. I'd always eat at a place called Hunky Dory's the night before a game and I'd have, you know, grilled fish um, and um, and salad. And, and, you know, the people wouldn't think anything about it when it was during the season, but when people would walk in their grand final leave <laughs> and they'd see me sitting there eating dinner, they'd go, what the, what the F are you doing? You know, you've got a grand final tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, this is my ritual. I do it every game. So, um but no, I had a lot of weird ones. Josh Gibson, been great to chat today. Off field, you had a taste for the high life. I know you don't mind me saying that, but on field, you were the dependable, hard-working pillar in one of the greatest sides in VFL, AFL history. I mean, you didn't walk a red carpet to the top level, but you rolled the sleeves up, worked hard, and you got there via the long road. Well done on all you achieved. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. I'll get working on my red carpet walking. Don't you worry. And thank, thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.